The Athen Real Talk podcast explores controversial ideas to stimulate debate and active thinking. These ideas do not always reflect Athen's personal views. Welcome to the Athen Real Talk podcast. He has been called the best gamer in the world, hands down. World famous gamer and philanthropist Athen. Gaming for good, it's called, has raised more than $20 million. Using his notoriety to raise money for charity. On activism, science, culture, and self-development. I'm proud to have him in the studio today. I would not want to take you on in a video game. I will say something else because this is existential, right? Because when I grew up, I had a lot of existential questions like how come I exist? What happens after death? After life? I can answer all these questions. I found answers to everything. What happens after death? Just to give one example, is there an afterlife, right? Well, I can tell you that there is two answers I can give to that question. First of all, and this is the prerequisite to the question, when you already talk about afterlife, you already assume time exists. And like I said, only the now exists. So the idea that there is a life afterwards already takes into account an arrow of time, time being real, absolute. If time doesn't even exist and everything takes place in the now, then afterlife is already a concept created from a limited perspective that is not fully aligned with the truth. So the idea that there is something after your life assumes that your life was a block within a bigger time frame, while if that time frame doesn't even exist and is only existing in the present now, which is, when you think about it, the case, when you even think about the afterlife, you're doing it right now, right? There is no part tomorrow that is right now thinking. The only thing that exists is right now. So if you are busy with the future, you're not busy with the future. You're busy with the present all the time. It's merely a concept within the present. And if you think about it and you reframe that already by saying like, actually, it's true. When I'm thinking about my death later on, I'm actually just thinking about the present, always about the present. So that is already the first inconsistency because you are projecting a certain concept towards the future in the present. You're constantly trapped in the present, in the now. So why would you even assume there is a tomorrow? I would rather say, if I am a scientific person, I would rather say the only thing we have evidence for is the now. So why not just assume the now is all that there is and everything takes place in the now. So the idea of an afterlife just doesn't make any sense. Either way, that's the first one. The second one is, let's say there is only the now, right? Which we experience. What are we? We are ever changing. I mean, when I was a kid 20 years ago, does he still exist? Like, what is it that connects my kid 25 years ago and me right now? It's merely an idea in my head that connects them. But the person 25 years ago doesn't exist. It doesn't exist anymore. You could say like maybe some ideas, some stories or whatever, but that's it. But you could even go further. What about your parents, your grandparents, your ancestors? Is it because you have a memory of your past that it's then you? But if it's not a memory, then it's not you. It's a bit strange, right? So what does define what you are? I would say everything, everything of the past up till this moment, but it's all embodied in the now. Everything you are is embodied in the now, all the information or whatever. But hey, that now is ever changing. Every single moment, when you look at your neural activity, you are a different person. Just like you could assume that 20 years ago, the person from 20 years ago, when you were a baby, doesn't really exist right now. Well, you could say the same about you in 20 years, but why say 20 years? Why not 20 days? Why not one day? Why not one moment? So in that extent, if you put the truth within identity and this illusion of story, you start realizing it doesn't exist and it's a mental idea anyway. And you're in a sense, you never really existed the way you believe you existed and you're attached to your existence to begin with because you're all the time, in a sense, dying and reborn in a different version. But the idea that you are connected with what you are right now is merely a concept 
in a concert based on identity and holding you together. And I'm going even further because you might say like, no, Athene, what about your body and this and that? And you have all these concepts that all take place in the now that come up. Thing is, the idea of identity is very recent. When you go back, there is even tribes, I think, still now that have more of collective awareness where they think they don't die when they die because they think that their identity is the tribe. So death and life just means something else to them. It's just seen as something completely different. And then why just end there? Why end as life and death with just your tribe? Why not the city? Why not the world? So like the idea of what you see as death in life is merely defined by the concept with what you identify yourself with. If you identify yourself with everything, then life and death makes no sense to begin with because everything is just part of everything and that's it. That is the more, like I talked, the non-identity, more truthful answer to the question, is there life after death? It just doesn't make sense. Everything happens in the now. It depends on what you identify. But now let me answer the question in an identity way. Let's say like this really doesn't vibe. You go like, no, I think I exist. No, 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 I'm the same. No, no, don't tell me this. Okay, I have a good answer for you too. And it is quantum immortality. What is quantum immortality? Quantum immortality is the theory, if within a many world interpretation, which I deem more likely than freaking Copenhagen interpretation, which means every single reality exists. If you try to kill yourself, there is going to be a reality where the gun doesn't pull the trigger. And if you are death in uh, 9,999,000 realities, the only ones you will experience are the ones where you're still alive. So quantum immortality is something you can look at. It's a scientific, I think, theory or hypothesis, whatever you want to call it, basically describes how you cannot die. So basically you might say, but that's not true. Because I know my friend died or Robbie Williams died or, you know, these people died, right? But the thing is, quantum immortality only applies to you as a reference frame. Because you are the center of your universe. You are the one that defines everything from an experience perspective. It's not like secret stuff where you can change the world and morph it. No, no, no. Like I said earlier throughout my entire conversation, you define the odds of a red car passing or the chances of being in the middle evil based on what you are. You define also the chance of existence or being able to live forever relative to what you are. Since you are the one that defines the odds of anything happening around you, Everything around you, all the people, are just merely other lines. And depending on what happens, they either collapse and cease to exist in your reality. But if you would be them, they would just keep existing. So in that regards, there is no such a thing as death for the reference frame. There is only death that you can experience of others, but not of yourself. You cannot die. Impossible. Because there will always be, in, within infinity, a version of you that survives. And next again, and next again, and next again. And you might say like, whoa, that means it's just a theory. It's just a hypothesis. It, I'm not saying this is the truth, but this is another answer to afterlife. And I'm going even a step further. That's where karma comes in as well. If you, for example, do evil or whatever, you're going to be trapped in that shit for the rest of eternity because you will never die. You will live in the world you create because of the odds of what you shape based on the likelihoods of the choices you make. For example... Let's say you want to test quantum immortality and put it on a test, right? And you go all the way up and you jump down, right? Then the moment you jump, what is more likely to happen, first of all, is that you don't even decide to jump. But let's say you do decide to jump. What is more likely within your reference frame, not for outsiders. Outsiders would just see you dropping dead. But relative to your own reference frame, what is more likely is you jump and you get into a coma, for the rest of eternity and, you know, whatever the fuck happens. And what I'm just saying is like, just as much as, you know, 
what is more likely is shaped by the reference frame, the paths you take and decisions you make define the odds of what has yet to happen, but the odds are not in your control. It is what is more likely. So if you make choices that are less consistent, you create a universe or a reality within what you are that is going to be less consistent and is going to force you to follow the path of what is most compressed. So for example, if you eat rat poison to kill yourself from relative to your own reference frame, the odds are more likely that you will be suffering a lot and will be put in a position where you never do that. What is even more likely is that you never even get to the point. And what is very funny when I think about these things, because I know they're a hypothesis, right? But then I wonder, what is the chance that I'm just at the foreground, at the horizon of singularity happening and probably immortality? What's the chance? Yet, I don't even question it. Sometimes I laugh with Reese about it. We assume that everything is just RNG, right? But yet, it's damn fucking, you know, strange that I'm in the position where I am, where, you know, we probably will experience singularity and immortality within my lifetime. It's, it's quite coincidence, to be honest. But yet, hey, here we are. Because the thing is, when it comes down to this stuff, you know, future and past are also, in a sense, entangled. It's also something that I've always been thinking about. To which extent is the future and the past entangled? But if you have every single universe existing and coexisting at the same time, it doesn't make so much sense to even talk about entanglement. The only entanglement is expressed relative to the information you have of the past and the future. Everything that goes outside these informations is merely shooting a cat. It exists and doesn't exist at the same time. It's only when you be- make it part of your information package that it becomes deterministic within this reality. Um, so thinking about the future, right, in a deterministic way makes no sense. I want to say that's also another question, like, what if you can see in the future? If you could see in the future, what you would see is every single possibility, which are infinite, and any, every single possibility existing. It's merely the one you collapse with that becomes part of what you are, that becomes what the future is in the now. Do you understand? Like, thinking about the past, time travel, and all that stuff makes absolutely no sense. It's all just constructs, based on constructs and based on constructs. Within infinity, you just build on infinity. And all these things are merely concepts that we use and build ourselves on that don't make too much sense. So that's the other answer to afterlife. Uh, But yeah, basically, to go back to what I was saying, because I even talked about this afterlife, just to make the point that everything is understandable and that the Big Bang doesn't make so much sense to me. Same with quantum mechanics and just always questioning and questioning and questioning things gives me existential answers that brings me to a bigger and bigger awareness. But at a certain point, and that's where it becomes more the other real talk, I realize since everything is probabilistic anyway, and that's where I connect with where I went before, right before I start talking about afterlife and stuff to connect back to that. If everything is just probabilistic and you can't know for sure, then things become more practical. And when things become more practical, it's not so much about figuring all these things out. It's about what is most consistent within our reality because existential questions is in a sense a bit of a contradiction to begin with. In order for me to be able to ask these existential questions, I need to be able to do that, right? And if I assume that as part of the premises that I can't ask these existential questions to define a certain path of right action, I'm literally going against myself because those that didn't have the ability to get the privilege to come to the point where they can ask existential questions, which requires all the needs of nourishment, food and all that stuff, I'm already going against myself because I really truly see myself in everyone. I just know that everyone, you guys are just a different entity of me, just as much as I am a different entity of you. 
and understanding that everything is connected and everything is part of the same thing. If I go taking for granted and being entitled to the privilege of me being able to even ask existential questions and lose myself in that, which goes at the cost of other versions of me that didn't have the RNG to get there, I'm literally going against myself. And therefore, the best thing I can do is put people in a setting where they can grow and as a collective, we can move forward. And that's where all these existential talks start fading away and I become a lot more practical oriented, talking about impact and being responsible and action oriented and all this stuff with existential questions and stuff. I went through all of that 14, 15 years old. I had already answers to the majority of what I'm talking about now. And that's why I became much more practical oriented because I realized that at the end of the day, if I don't want to be a hypocrite, I need to create the opportunities for others to get to the point where I am before I even use my position to justify not caring about them. It would just be inconsistent, fundamentally inconsistent. And I already talked about the example in Auschwitz where I compare myself to the version of Auschwitz. If that person is a better person because someone is taking away his freedom and pointing a gun at him, then I don't deserve to have my freedoms. I don't deserve to have my choices because a version of me where I would strip them away would be a better person. And that's why I'm so right action oriented. That's why I do what I do. I don't know what you guys think about this stuff, but that's when these things become a bit more uh, sensitive. The moment I start talking about more practical stuff, more responsible oriented integrity and such, people tend to be much more easy deflective because that's where the discrepancy happens between their left and right hemisphere. Left hemisphere is more emotional, more nourishment and such, while right hemisphere is more action-oriented. Like when I talk about existential stuff, like theories and stuff, unless you really are fundamentally attached to a god or whatever, this is very interesting because it doesn't go at the cost of or makes you doubt your lifestyle in any shape or form. And it's just interesting. It's like intellectual masturbation, basically. But the moment the insights and the understanding start gaining more and more terrain to the point where you have to change certain habits and lifestyle and live a bit more less comfortable, that's when people start pushing away what I say, even though it's all connected. And the best thing you can do is being honest with yourself because everything can be understood and you can find safety in everything. And it's so much more advanced than losing yourself and closing your eyes. Cognitive dissonance, talk about it. Maybe people will know how to differentiate left and right parts of the brain. Well, basically, cognitive dissonance is inner conflict. And what is inner conflict? It merely is your brain is like an orchestra. And when one guy is playing really shitty music, it just causes noise. But when everything is in harmony, you feel good. It's a nice, serene experience. I would say it's very much a nice metaphor to explain your brain activity. A lot of people, what they do is... There is different ways of going about it, a noisy crowd. If you're playing a violin or whatever with a lot of people, every person is a neuron, then what you can do is the neurons that really are not in tune with you, you just shut them off by focusing only your attention to those that do work together. Watching a movie, distracting yourself, really like putting your awareness in the parts of the brain that feel good and just deflect everything else. But the problem is your brain has evolved to make you compatible with reality. So sooner or later, you are confronted with these parts that are there for the bigger picture. Even though you experience your life right now, your brain and the way it evolved went through billions of years and has more perspective, to put it that way, than your current awareness. So the reason why you feel like wanting a girlfriend or want to socialize is because wanting a girlfriend 
provides for procreating your own DNA, while social skills means you can survive as a species. So basically, even though you can do these tricks to focus your awareness right now on a very small part of the brain that resonates with yourself, that makes you feel good, the reality of things, requirements, uh, food, whatever, paying bills, are realities that keep poking at you that require other networks to activate now and again. And you can only neglect them for so much. You can only procrastinate for so much. And that's why some people, you know, like one of the more important ones is meaning and purpose at a certain point in your life. You just wonder, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Why am I even alive? When you just focus on yourself and this little identity bubble. But either way, what I want to say is that cognitive dissonance or inner conflict is when certain neural networks within your brain are canceling each other out. Because what is actually dissonance? What is inner conflict? It's merely, you know, you have waves and waves can either cancel themselves out or they can enhance each other. And you could see our own existence as waves strengthening and strengthening each other in the most effective way for billions of years to the point where we are what we are because it's very nicely fine-tuned with the reality around us. So you might wonder like, okay, I get it. So you have inner conflict, you have, you know, dissonance with these other neural networks. But the thing is, when we think about neural networks, a lot of people assume that it's parts of them from an identity perspective. So they think every single neural network is, you know, you want to eat, that's a part of network, you want to have sex as a part of network, you want to watch movies, all these different networks. But the thing is, though, it goes even further than that. Everything you experience is part of your neural networks. Even me right now, I am merely a neural network in your brain. So if I'm yelling at you, the reason why you experience frustration is because of inner conflict. There is no such a thing as external. Everything takes place within your consciousness. Everything. So even when I talk to you, and I yell at you, it's merely these neural networks that are trying to resonate with each other. So the environment and your outside world is part of your inner stability. It's something that a lot of people tend to split. They tend to mentally split the environment in themselves and emotionally be attached, while in a reality, the environment is part of what you are. It shapes you everything. Either way, so inner conflict between left and right hemisphere also translates into the connections through your senses with your environment and some of them have more left hemisphere oriented while others are more right hemisphere oriented let me tell you something for example right now in the chat there is people when they think about stuff they think with images while there is another group that is thinking in audio one is more right hemisphere uh, oriented one is more left hemisphere oriented even though you never realize that a lot of you might think like what People think in audio. When I read a book, I don't see stuff. I read the text out loud in my head. Some people, when they read a book, they don't even read anything. They just see images. And it's something interesting to think about because it just shows how, even though we live in a reality where you literally have two specific types of how you can think, we assume everybody is just very similar. But the thing is like the inner conflict can happen when your emotions are not aligned with your reason. Because on a fundamental level, you don't really understand how you feel. Because you have a certain thought, it sounds really right, but it doesn't feel right. But the reason why it doesn't feel right is because you don't understand yourself. And that's why just laying down, instead of trying to rationalize and come up with uh, rationalizations and excuses or whatever, because that's what a lot of people do, they feel, act, think. That is their process. Feel, act, come up with rationalizations. While the way it should be is you feel, you take the action of reflecting, and then you act. So that should be the normal course of action. And you can train that, by the way. And that's what creates this left and right hemisphere collaboration, which yields to much better results, which also leads you to a moment where your left hemisphere, 
When you feel something, you will really think reflecting gets me more than immediately acting and rationalizing afterwards. I gain more safety. I gain more what I need if I put thinking before. And that's when you really on a fundamental level can accept that, that reflecting and doing what is right and using understanding to achieve stuff is way more rewarding. You can create a paradigm where your inner conflict, even from an emotional level, goes away, fades away and aligns with your reason. And that's why I also think when it comes down to a lot of success and impact, you need to have a lot of intelligence in both. And that's what emotional intelligence is. And that's where I am really good at. I'm really good at putting my emotions into words. I'm really good at understanding people because the connection between my both hemispheres is really well established because I really put a lot of effort in understanding my emotions. But also when I grew up, I didn't go through traumatic experiences that made me suppress my emotions, which is something quite of you guys did do. I always had this honest relationship with the truth and I was never, it was never slapped out of me by reality because I was quite smart and was always ahead of the people around me. But of course, if you're not that lucky, because it's all RNG anyway, you can very easily start having a more suppressed way of going about life. And basically what then drives you without you knowing are literally events from the past. And that's why laying down and starting to question why you do what you do, right? After this real talk, why do you go to school? Really and not run away from it, really, really question it, can yield to a paradigm or even a catharsis that is much more emotionally satisfying because it gives more safety. Also, the beauty of being more right hemisphere calibrated, as long you trust understanding and stuff and you put quite some effort in not running away from your fears, but really going into it and trying to understand it and always have a quite action-driven paradigm because that's where dopamine gets generated and makes you feel of a sense of will become more dopamine-oriented rather than serotonin-oriented can really bring about a paradigm that is very fulfilling. But of course, I think for women it's a bit different. They're more serotonin-oriented, although being in a flow and action-oriented can also be very effective. And that's another thing, like when it comes down to inner conflict, our brain has a lot of capacity, but at the end of the day, we're still a machine. Hormones dictate so many things. I mean, you can literally be injected with certain amount of hormones and just think differently, act differently. And we have this illusion that we have control, but actually the control we have is quite little. The only thing we can do is have an awareness that includes everything and have an understanding that then makes things flow the most optimal possible with the least resistance, which brings about growth in awareness, because that's what we are at the end of the day. We're merely growth. We evolve. We move forward. And literally settling or whatever just goes against what you are. Going into a little comfort, giving away your ownership goes against what you are. The best thing you can do is try and have an impact in the world and grow and never settle because that is really what life and being alive is. It's bigger than you. And yeah, it leads to the stars or maybe even leads to five dimensions, six dimensions, singularity, whatever. Yeah, by being very honest to yourself and valuing it, you can achieve so much. And this place is merely a catalysator for people to grow even more. And it's an insane opportunity. And I know some people might watch and go like, hmm, question why you do what you do. Really take the time, reflect on it. Look at the people. There is like literally on the singularity group, right? There is interviews with so many people here. Go check it out, I would say. Take some time. Think about it. Because this opportunity is limited in time. And the moment that the place is full, you will miss out on the opportunity of coming over here and being around like-minded people and being stimulated to grow so much. Because honestly, you might experience inner conflict with the idea of coming over, but the inner conflict does not arise from the fact that this is really a danger, but it arises from a decalibration with your emotional core 
and being able to question and take ownership of why you do what you do will really bring about clarity that gives you more and more understanding on why you do what you do and why coming over is really a no-brainer for most of you guys. Of course, you need a European passport. You need to do your best. You need to uh, take care of your health care. But all these things are really, you know, nothing compared to the benefits you get from uh, being part of this opportunity. And these questions, right, they also translate in habits and everything, your lifestyle in general. Wonder why you do what you do. Question it. And even if you get to the point like, yeah, for example, I eat meat because it's tasty. Like, you can wonder, like, is it responsible, for example, to do so when I know that what suffering that it causes? Take other perspectives. See your lifestyle and how it goes at the cost of others. Try to realize, okay, is this truthfully to myself? If I understand, you know, we're all equal. Is my comfort or is my little bit of experience worth the damage that I'm causing and stuff? Like, can I boast and value my own freedom if my own freedom goes against other people's freedom? Because if they would do the same, I wouldn't even have my freedom. Like, be honest to yourself. Be consistent. And when you go and you, you realize like, yeah, I actually don't give a shit about consistency, then you can start wondering everything you experience, everything that happens to you, do you deserve it? Like if you take away someone's freedom, do you deserve people taking away your freedom? Yes, you do. It's consistent. The thing is, it's very hard to find a real comfortable moral framework that gives you purpose and meaning when you go against it on a fundamental level. And it will cause inner conflict because your cognitive part wants to align these two. And I can tell you that even though it might sometimes sound like sacrifice or whatever, taking opportunities and doing good and such really makes you more fulfilled and happy. But more so, you don't even need to care so much about these things. Even if you just more care about yourself, coming over, learning coding and everything gets you so much ahead. Everybody, most people that leave here get instant jobs, well-paid jobs, grow so much confidence, everything, and everything is so practical as well that missing out on an opportunity like this, I can tell you guys, I can guarantee you guys that once projects start coming out, you will really look back and regret it so much why you didn't at least just try your best. It's not just about trying for the sake of trying. Try your best. Subscribe to youtube.com slash wins. Watch the live stream at twitch.tv slash live and follow the real Athene on Snapchat.